Hello dear friends. Welcome to Life After Life Spirit Reports. We're basing our study on the beautiful book Heaven and Hell by Ellen Kardec. We have been studying many different categories of spirits in the past year and we have reached now the repentant criminal category. Last week was our first case. We're studying the cases, the spirit reports in the second half of Heaven and Hell in order for us to educate ourselves about what happens be right before we excarnate, right during the time of our excarnation and right after our excarnation. And why would we want to do that? Well, we are interested in educating ourselves and preparing ourselves for our excarnation. Because one thing we all have in common, we have more than one thing in common, but one thing for sure we have in common, and that is our earthly existence will be limited by time. We all will excarnate. So of course, why would we not want to gather? Why would we not want to, to educate ourselves about the process, the mechanics, and how we could prepare ourselves today to help ourselves and this is the reason <clears throat> why we have been meeting every sunday night at 6 p.m pacific standard time 9 p.m eastern standard time to educate ourselves together in our internet continental classroom and with so much gratitude to cardiac radio and facebook and all the other technology that we actually can do that we don't need to get together in order to educate ourselves and to harmonize our minds and hearts. We can do it right here online. So while everyone is entering our beautiful classroom, I invite you for a brief prayer so we will connect. And if you can, please close your eyes and open your hearts and your minds with so much gratitude in our hearts for God, divine providence, the first cause of all things, and Jesus Christ, who was sent by God to model to us of how we can become a better human being. Jesus is our guide and model, showing to us all the ramifications and expressions of love. And we're also connecting with Mother Mary, the mother of all mothers, who suffered greatly and turned her suffering into a most amazing mission of love, supporting suicide spirits in the spirit world. And we're also connecting with the mentors of Cardiac Radio with gratitude and the mentors of this group. And we're saying hello to our own mentors, thanking them for being with us, supporting us and encouraging us from the cradle to the grave. And we're asking that we will be understanding the teachings tonight in the depth of our fibers with an open heart and an open mind, harmonizing ourselves within ourselves in our path through incarnation and 
with each other in this group. And with this, we kindly ask for permission to begin tonight's study group. And so be it, dear friends. Thank you for joining. I see wonderful friends here. We have um, Marge. Hello, Marge. So nice to see you. Welcome, dear friend. And we have Solange. Thank you so much, Solange. Thanks for joining. And we have Marilda Vega. Thank you also for being here. And everyone else who I don't see and know that you're here, please say hello and feel free to ask questions or make comments and we will do our best to answer. The technology is never perfect. So I sometimes after our session see that so many of you made more remarks and it didn't show up. So I apologize ahead of times. So dear friends, today we're going back to Heaven and Hell by Ellen Kardec, second half. And as I said earlier, we are in the category of repentant criminals. And this is our second case of repentant criminals. And the spirit's name is Lemaire. If you would like to follow us along, please refer to page 432 in this edition of Heaven and Hell. Page 432, Lemaire. Lemaire was condemned to death in December of 1857. And he was evoked one month later in January of 1858. He was um, condemned um, to death at a court in France, um, which was only for felons. So he must have committed a felony. We're not being told exactly what his crime was, but he fell prey to the capital punishment. So here is his evocation. He says, I'm here. And the first question is, what are your feelings at seeing us? And he says, shame. Immediately after your execution, were you aware of your new existence? The answer by Lemaire was, I was plunged into great confusion and I haven't yet come out of it. I felt a searing pain and it seemed like it was my heart that suffered. I saw something I couldn't recognize roll at the foot of the scaffold. Then I saw blood flowing and my pain became even more acute. And then he, he's being asked, what was it a purely physical pain, similar to that caused by a serious wound, by the amputation of a limb, for example? And his answer is no. It was more like remorse, a great mental pain. When did you start feeling it? And the answer is, as soon as I was free, free of his physical form. So let us pause, dear friends. So there's a couple of things here. First thing is he was plunged, he reports back that he was plunged into great confusion right after his explanation. He also saw something rolling at the foot of the scaffold. And obviously we know that was his head. And he saw blood flowing and he felt great mental pain, which he describes as remorse. He later says, the mental pain was in my spirit. 
My body felt the physical pain, but my spirit separated from the body also felt the physical pain. So there's a lot going on. There is confusion, there's remorse, there's great mental pain, but then he says that his body felt the physical pain, but he was already excarnated. So we're wondering, how was that possible? But then he says it was felt by his spirit. His physical pain was felt by his spirit. And then he said that um, he also felt the physical pain, so mental and physical pain, and even though his, his body was already separated. So let us try to understand what is exactly going on with him right after his head was decapitated. So there is often at our, um, how should I say, at our um, transform moral transformational state, there is more often than not the state of confusion that we feel experience right after our excarnation and the suffering of of our soul depends on how much our perispirit which is the part that is the connecting body between our physical form and our spirit and depending on how much our perispirit is still connected to our physical bodies at the moment of death depends on how much pain we're still feeling. The more we're connected still to our physical body, which very often is the case in violent deaths like this one, the more pain we're feeling, the more confused we are. Even in natural deaths, if we haven't educated ourselves, and we haven't worked in our inner transformation, we're more likely to have a prolonged period of unconsciousness, of confusion, and more pain in our severance from the physical form, the perispirit separating from the physical form. We have to keep in mind, as we learn in Missionaries of Light by Andre Louise, that it takes seven years for a perispirit to fully connect to a physical body. So we can only surmise that it's also quite time, um, takes a long time for us to separate our perispirit from our bodies. And of course we can start today and work on that via our inner transformation and education. So let us go to um, the Spirits book. The Spirits book actually helps us to make sense of what Lemaire is experiencing. And we're going, if you want to, go along with us, we're going to question 163, which is in part two, chapter three of the Spirits book. And the title of this subchapter is The Spirit's State of Confusion After Death. So Ellen Kardec dedicated a whole chapter to this subject, and it's very important for us to know. So question 163. The question is, upon leaving the body, is the soul immediately conscious of itself? So are we immediately conscious after our physical body falls off? And we're talking about our um, level of um, transformation, of our level of moral development, right? Planet Earth. And this is a generalization. Every case is different. But here's the answer. Immediately is not the right word. It remains in a state of confusion for some time. So we're not on the whole not generally 
instantly conscious of our own selves, knowing that we actually have excarnated. Um, the state of confusion is very common and um, among us, and particularly among violent deaths. Question 164, do all spirits experience the confusion that follows the separation of the soul and the body? And is do all spirits experience this state of confusion to the same degree and for the same amount of time? So Alan Kardec so wonderfully takes away our question that we all have, right? So do we all experience it? Do we all experience it to the same degree and the same length? And here's the answer from the spirits, from the illuminated spirits. And the answer is no. It depends on how evolved they are. Those who are already purified are almost immediately self-aware because of their detachment from matter during corporeal life. Hint, hint. So we can work on our detachment from corporeal life starting today. How can we do that? We educate ourselves. We look at, we, we study the spirits book. We study heaven and hell. We study um, the Andre Louis series and more spiritist books. Then we practice our inner transformation. We study Jesus. We see, we understand what his teachings are so we can be better followers of him as a guide and model. And we're also invited to remind ourselves daily of our excarnation. Further on, it is important for us to not form too tight of connections to our physical belongings. And that includes not just the house and the car, but also our family members, our friends, our spouses, and attachment to money. So it's a whole package deal. And Heaven and Hell explains a lot about it, and so does Andre Louise. So suffice it to say that um, our state of confusion depends on how self-aware we are and how much we have detached ourselves from our corporeal life in ahead of time. However, carnal individuals with impure consciences retain the impression of matter much longer. The practice of the good and purity of conscience exerts the most influence, however. So practicing the good, feeling the good, visualizing the good, seeing the good, speaking the good, molding the good with all the resources we have, as Emmanuel helps us to understand in thought and life, is key. Let us continue. At the moment of death, Alicardic teaches us further. At the moment of death, everything appears confused at first. The soul needs some time to recognize itself. It feels dazed, like someone waking out of a deep sleep, who tries to understand the situation. The lucidity of its ideas and the memory of its past return as the influence of the matter from which it has just freed itself is extinguished and the sort of fog that had obscured its thoughts is dissipated. So it's kind of like we can imagine it like waking up out of a deep sleep, like in the morning when we don't know what day it is and what time it is and where we are sometimes. The duration of the state of confusion following death varies greatly. It may last a few hours, now this is important, it may last a few hours, several months or even years. Can we imagine? The ones who experience it for, it 
for the least amount of time are those who have identified themselves with their future state during life because they immediately understand their situation. Again, education, familiarizing ourselves with the mechanisms and working on our inner transformation. This confusion presents particular aspects depending on the character of the individual and especially depending on the type of death involved. And here now we're talking about how the mayor excarnated. Remember, he was decapitated. That is false under violent deaths. And Alan Kardec speaks to that. He says, in violent deaths, suicide, capital punishment, accident, stroke, mortal wounds, etc. The spirit is surprised and astonished. It does not believe itself to be dead. It stubbornly persists in asserting that it has not died. Moreover, it sees its body lying there and knows how it belongs to it, who belongs to it, but does not understand that it is now separate. Remember Lemaire, he saw something rolling down the scaffolding. Well, that was his head. But since we have a perispirit and we still have the same sensations, it can be confusing. And when we look at ourselves, we still see our so-called physical shape, the appearance we had in our previous life. However, we're looking at our perispirit. And for someone who can't distinguish between that, who is not educated about that, we can't imagine it becomes very confusing. Right, friends? So let us continue. This illusion lasts until the separation of the perispirit spirit is complete and only then does it realize its situation and understand and understands that it is no longer part of the world of the living. So as long as the perispirit is still um, attached somewhat to the physical form, it's much more confusing. The state of confusion is more, much more likely to occur. This phenomena is easy to explain. Surprised by its unforeseen death, the spirit is stunned. It still believes that death is synonymous with destruction and annihilation. And since it continues to think, see and hear, it does not consider itself to be dead. This illusion is strengthened by the fact that it finds itself in a body similar to the one it just left behind, and it has not yet ascertained its ethereal nature. Again, lack of education. When we confuse our perispirit for our physical, fleshy body, that is lack of education. That is when we create a prolonged state of confusion. Let us continue. There is nothing painful about the state of confusion following death for moral individuals. They are calm and their per perceptions are those of a peaceful awakening. So if we have done our inner work, our homework, worked on our moral transformation, we have a much better chance of shortening our state of confusion, which we read in other literature can be quite painful. If we're not more pure. We haven't done our moral inner transformation work during our lives as best as we can. Now here it is. However, for those whose conscience is not pure, it is full of anxiety and anguish, which intensifies as it regains self-awareness. And that is what Lemaire is experiencing. Now let us go back to Lemaire. So I hope we understand the state of confusion a little bit better. 
It is caused by the link that the perispirit still has to the physical body, which happens in natural deaths where we're unprepared in our during our lifetimes and uneducated as well, but much more likely in violent deaths because as we can imagine, it's a sudden boom, cut off from the physical body, the vitality leaves the physical body, it's not active anymore and here we are, totally not knowing what just happened and then the state of confusion continues and it, as we just learned, it can be very painful when we're dealing with remorse and guilt and, and fear and anger, which are usually byproducts of unevolved spirits. So let us continue here. Um, did you see your mutilated body? Now Lemaire is being asked. And his answer is, I saw something formless, which seemed I was still part of. However, I felt myself intact outside of it. I was myself. What impressions did this sight make on you? And of course, this intactness is what? What did he see? What, what did he perceive as still intact and confused with? Well, it was his Paris spirit. He looked at himself and he saw, he saw still his own form and shape because the Paris spirit and the physical form during the lifetime um, have the same shape. So, um, so he saw something formless and he still saw himself. What impressions did this sight make on you? And the answer is, I felt my pain a lot. I was completely lost in pain. Pause. He was completely lost in pain. When we go to the front part of heaven and hell. There's a beautiful chapter that will help us understand of what Lemaire is further experiencing. It is on page 220, it's called The Passage. So if you like to go with me to page 220 to help us understand what is going on. It's called The Passage and we're going to look at item three, item three of The Passage. The fact the, that that inert matter is insensitive is a fact. So in other words, when our physical form is separated from our perispirit, does it still feel, does it still have sensations of pain? No, because it becomes inert matter. Like this book. If I pinch this book, it's inert matter. It doesn't feel any pain. Same happens with our body when it's completely detached from our perispirit. So the soul is the one that experiences sensations of pain and pleasure. Aha! So it is not the inner matter, our bodies that feel it when we're attached, but it's the soul that experiences pain and pleasure. During, um, it is the soul that suffers and not the body. The body per se is nothing more than an instrument of pain. The soul is what actually feels it. So that leads us to believe that even right now as I'm sitting, as we're sitting here and we're pinching ourselves, it's actually not so much the body that feels it, it's just the instrument, the carrier of the pain. But according to Alan Kardec here, we're learning that actually the instrument that feels the pain is the soul. 
The body per se is nothing more than the instrument of pain, but it's the soul that actually feels it. Now that helps us to understand why Lemaire was still feeling pain. And he said mental pain, but he confused it with physical pain. Then he looked down on himself and he still saw his shape. So that's what we're, that, that muddled um, impression he had, muddled um, surprise and uneducated situation and um, sensations he had right after his discarnation. We're trying to organize with the help of, of the spirits book and the passage, friends. So I'm, we're hoping we're helping. So when separated from the soul at death, the body can be mutilated at will and will feel nothing. We know that from cases where people are donating their organs. So the, actually the body itself does not feel anything. But if we're still connected to the body, we will feel the sensations. And what I mean by that is molecules of the perispirit that are connected to molecules of the physical body. So how does this mechanism work? The perispirit is the fluidic envelope of the soul and is not separate from it either before death or afterwards. So the soul and the perispirit always travel together. The two together may be said to form a whole, for one cannot be conceived, one cannot be conceived of without the other. During earthly life, the perispiritual fluid penetrates the body at every point and serves as a vehicle for the physical sensations of the soul. So it is the connection between the perispirit and the physical body that actually transmits the pain because remember the pain comes from the soul and the body is the vehicle. Whereas the soul operates through the perispirit to act upon the body and guides its movement. So the soul also is the, is the activator of movement and is the one that feels the pain. So this is really interesting, right? Because how often do we think it's our bodies, right? The extinction, so what happens at death? The extinction of organic life produces the separation of the soul from the body by breaking the fluidic connection that links them together. The perispiritual fluid disengages little by little from all the organs so that the separation is complete. And in violent deaths, that takes a long time. Definitely not done within a month because Lemaire was invoked within a month and we can see it wasn't complete. So then the painful sensation that the soul experiences at that moment of separation results directly from the number of points of contact between the body and perispirit. And this in turn determines the greater or lesser difficulty or slowness of the separation. I'll repeat, the painful sensations that the soul experiences, which Lemaire does at the moment of um, disengagement of the perispirit to the body results directly from the number of points of contact between the body and perispirit. And this in turn determines the greater or lesser difficulty or slowness of the separation. Obviously, again, we're saying it again in violent deaths, there's still a lot of connecting points. It is needless to point out that whether death is more painful or less, so depends on the circumstances. And then he goes, what circumstances? 
is he referring to? Well, there's different kinds of exclamations. There's old age and one of them and others, and we're not going into that. But there is the violent deaths, and now we're going to look at that further in item 12. You want to continue on uh, to item 12. In violent deaths, the situation is not exactly the same. Since no partial disaggregation has led to a separation between the body and perispirit beforehand, organic life is suddenly snatched away while still fully in force. The detachment of the perispirit only begins after death. And in such a case, this cannot happen all at once. The perispirit is taken by surprise and feels bewildered, state of confusion. But perceiving that it can still think, it believes it is still alive. There it is, perfect explanation of what's going on with Lemaire. This delusion lasts until it can gain an understanding of its new situation. This type of intermediary state between corporeal and spirit life is one of the most interesting subjects for study because it presents the peculiar situation of a spirit who mistakes its fluidic body as being its physical one. And that's exactly what happens to Lemaire. And then in, in um, item 13 comes the summary. The state of the spirit at the time of death can be summarized as follows. The slower the disengagement of its perispirit, the more the spirit suffers. The speed of the disengagement depends on the spirit's degree of moral development. Bingo, there it is, moral development. So if we take our lives, our moral development isn't very far, right? Because we cause more pain for us than what we're trying to avoid. Capital punishment, of course, means we have committed a crime. So that's why our life has been taken. So again, it would prolong the pain. So friends, I hope this Melissa and Ricardo. Hello, Ricardo. Nice to have you here. Tony. Hi, Tony. Nice to see you. And I think I said hello to all the other friends. So let us continue. I think we're understanding um, the disengagement for it. If you're not, if you still have more questions, please feel free to ask. So let us see, Lemire, where are you? Lemire got lost. Okay, hold on. Sorry, friends. Um, all right. What did you feel first upon entering your new existence? He answers, unbearable suffering, a sort of acute remorse whose cause I didn't know. Well, we wonder why did he not know why he felt remorse? Well, where is the center? Where are God's laws written? Where is our conscience when we know we've not done good? We haven't done the good or we've omitted doing the good. It's in our conscience. That's where God's laws are written. So even though he's not conscious of it, of it Lemaire felt it. He felt incredible remorse. So let us pause for a moment. Remorse. What is remorse? Remorse is similar to feeling guilty, right? Guilt and remorse are kind of, they go to, they travel together. And when do we feel remorse or when do we feel guilty? When we, of course, we feel it in our conscience. We all know how it feels, but Emmanuel helps us understand it a little bit differently. 
He says when we have not fulfilled our duties. And he defines duty as a series of activities in the realm of goodness. So when we haven't done the good, when we haven't fulfilled our duties, that's when we start feeling guilt or remorse. And he says that those feelings, and we're talking right now, particularly by while we're still incarnated, they do poison into our Paris spirit and our body and our conscience, and then we get sick. So it is not good to feel guilty. So remorse, how does remorse and how do, do remorse and repentance differ? Well, when we look at Corinthians, Paul actually helps us understand it. So in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 to 11, if you want to look it up, Paul distinguishes between worldly sorrow, which he calls remorse, and godly sorrow, which he refers to as repentance. So remorse, he describes sort of as the beginning steps towards repentance. Remorse is the worldly um, sorrow. So if I'm a little child and I see the cookie jar and I eat all the cookies, mom comes in and says, who ate all the cookies? And then I said, I did, I ate all the cookies. And now mom is upset and I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling remorse. So that's kind of like a worldly remorse and then I can make up for it. But repentance, the way Paul helps us to understand it, is when we actually address God. When we stand before God, it's a much bigger thing. It is something when we turn to God and we acknowledge our sins. We know it from the Catholic Church, there's repentance, right? And, and so that is when we actually, in that sense, I'm not Catholic, so I can't speak for that. I've never been Catholic, so I'm not really familiar with it, but I know that there is repentance, right? And so repentance is when we speak to God and we acknowledge our sins before God, when we have stolen, when we've done something really grave. And in heaven and hell, in the first part, Alan Kardec helps us to understand the three steps to regeneration. And we've gone over that before, but we know that through effort and repetition, we learn and we want to um, click the off button from Facebook and sunshine and remember in our daily lives what are those three steps so we can actually incorporate them into our lives that will help us help us with our inner transformation so what is the first step of our regeneration our, our path to our recuperation regeneration well the first step is repentance now we've learned there is remorse before that for smaller items more worldly situations but the remorse really also leads to repentance. So repentance is the softening of rigors. It is, it leads us to expiation. It is a heartfelt recognition that we've done wrong. We've done something wrong and we need to um, understand about it. It opens the door to expiation, to you know, for example, when repentance happens in the spirit life, and we see that so clearly and beautifully described in the book Memoirs of a Suicide by Yvonne Pereira, actually by um, the spirit um, Branco, forgot his, um, Botello Branco, um, uh, through with a, you know, by um, the spirit, by the uh, medium um, Yvonne Pereira. 
These spirits who've committed suicide are all feeling repentant at some point in their spirit life. And we see the long process of their repentance. And at some point they're realizing, I have to expiate my wrongs. There's no way around it. And they sign up for it. And expiation is very often the next step and it's in a new life. However, we can also repent and expiate in our current lifetimes. So expiation, what is that? It is the physical, mental suffering in a current or future life, or it happens also in a spirit life. So it's the physical and mental suffering. An expiation, expiatory example, for example, would be that we learned that we um, learned about in the memoirs of suicide was when we committed um, um, suicide and we've done some wrong with our eyes, then we will be born with a congenital illness and maybe without eyesight. So um, that's one example. And then the third step, so first step repentance, second expiation, third step is reparation. And reparation is when we make up for what we've done wrong. We're righting a wrong. We're fulfilling neglected duties sometimes in a different lifetime, sometimes in the same lifetime. We can repair things we've committed in this lifetime. If I've lied to someone and I feel repentant about it, I'll go back to this person. I'm invited, encouraged to go back and say, listen, I'm sorry, what can I do to make up for it? I lied, right? So repentance, expiation, and reparation are the three steps to our regeneration. Okay, going back. So Lemaire feels incredible amount of pain, pain, and it is remorse. And um, then he says, did you find yourself in the company of your accomplices right after excarnation? Those who were executed at the same time with you. He had accomplices, so his crime must have been a group crime. He says, to our disgrace, yes, we see them. Seeing one another is a constant torment. Each blames the other for, their, for this heinous crime. <laughs> Interesting. So it, it's clear to us, as long as we're blaming, we're pointing the finger, we're not very evolved spirits, right? And that is something for us to be conscious of. How much, and this is a therapeutic question for our own selves right now, how much am I still blaming the outside world, other people, situations, illnesses, whatever it may be that we don't perceive as positive in our lives on somebody, something else? Or to what degree are we taking, um, to what degree are we taking charge of it? We, we own the reasons for the suffering we have because we know that the law of cause and effect, there's a cause for every effect. And the cause is a seed we planted in our garden of, it, of immortality. So everything we're experiencing comes from us. And we need to take responsibility. That's the word that was missing a minute ago. How much responsibility are we taking on a scale of zero to 10? Or are we still inclined to blame feel like a victim on a zero scale from zero to 10. You're invited to look into that and I will too. 
we will all harmonize ourselves and learn because this is part of our inner transformation. Have you encountered your victims? He says, yes, I see them and those are happy. Their gaze persecutes me. I feel piercing, their piercing eyes inside of me. I try to flee and it's in vain. What feelings do you experience when you see your victims? Shame and remorse. I myself caused it, but I still hate them for it. So he's kind of getting there. He's understanding that he's done wrong. He feels remorse, but he's not quiet. He still likes to blame, you know, the crime on his accomplices and he still doesn't want to be around them. He's not quite there yet. He hasn't done all his homework yet. What feeling do they experience at your side? Well, his victims feel pity for them. Do they feel a display of hatred and the desire for vengeance? The victims, no. Their wishes are for my expiation. You can't imagine the horrible torture in owing everything to those we hate. So the victims, Lemaire's victims are wiser and more evolved because they are praying for his expiation. Remember, that's the second step of our path to regeneration, repentance, expiation, and, and um, a recuperation. So he suffers when he sees them because they are actually much more advanced than he is and he doesn't like it. Do you regret your corporeal life? I regret only my crimes, he says. If I had to do all over again, I wouldn't succumb to my crimes. So he must have committed several crimes, but he's feeling regret again, regret, remorse, guilt. And we are actually reminded of pretty much every single case that we've gone through from the average spirits to the suffering spirits to the suicides and now the repentant criminals in heaven and hell which were part of our study group except for the happy spirits every single spirit felt some form of regret about situations uh, opportunities they didn't take advantage of crimes they committed omissions they've done so regret is a very common occurrence at our level of evolution after excarnation and it's something that we're learning and hopefully will avoid and how can we avoid feeling intense regret or any regret while well, we do it by preparing ourselves and today are working for the good working on our inner transformation emulating the Beatitudes, learning about Jesus, his teachings, becoming more like him, really using him as a guide and model in our everyday lives, in every breath we're taking, and educating ourselves about the mechanics of excarnation. Yes, friends. So, regret. Re means again, at the root of the word. Re means again. And Greter, which is French, means weeping and mourning. So the regret means weeping, again weeping, um, feeling sorry for, 
wishing we hadn't done something or wishing we had done something that we omitted doing or or um, feeling guilty so those are all part of regret and we need to use the feelings of regret remorse and guilt as a so-called red flag of doing our inner work of starting to repent and that is the process in front of God and then making up for it friends all right that's our invitation for tonight to work on regretting less which means doing the good now doing the good always doing the good thinking the good feeling the good visualizing the good right friends so let us go back so was the penchant toward evil in your very nature or were you influenced more by the environment in which you lived? So now Alan Kardec is wondering, you know, were you an evil spirit? Evil meaning ignorant spirit, less evolved spirit? Or were you influenced more by your environment? Very important question. We're curious too. What actually caused him to be a criminal? And the answer that he gives is, the tendency towards evil was in my very nature because I was an inferior spirit. Thank you, Lemire. Thank you for his honesty, right, friends? He was an inferior spirit, consequently he was more ignorant, so it came from his spirit, from his level of evolution. That was his tendency. I wanted to ascend quickly and ask for more than I was capable of. I thought I was strong and so I chose a tough trial for this incarnation, but I gave in to the temptations of evil. If you had received a solid education now, Ellen Kardec is wondering, would you have bypassed a life of crime? And the answer is yes, but I had chosen beforehand the conditions into which I was born. So. Lemaire is reminding us that we are co-creators. Most often we co-create our lifetime. We have a say and he must be very conscious of that. So he chose a very um, challenging trial. He thought he would be more evolved and stronger than he actually was and he succumbed to, the, to crime. And it was his tense tendency, his lack of moral development that caused the crime, more so than in his environment. But then Alan Kardec is saying, so what if you had been had an opportunity to educate yourself more? Would that have helped? Well, we're wondering. Education is not education, right? What education is he referring to? We're guessing it's the moral education, the education about inner transformation. But at the same time, we also know from Emmanuel in the book Thought and Life, um, chapter four, which is titled Instruction, that we need two wings to fly, like a bird, two wings for us to ascend on the ladder of inner transformation towards perfection. And one is the intellectual education. It is accumulating knowledge, educating ourselves in that sense. And the other side is love. It's being of service, our inner transformation, practicing the good. So the education here is probably twofold um, because both of them are necessary for us to ascend. Could you have been a moral man? 
Alan Kardec is wondering, and Lemaire says, a weak man, incapable of doing either good or evil. During my life, I could have corrected the evil of my nature, but I could not have raised myself up to do the good. Hmm. Let us pause and let us go to us to uh, these points. Okay, so first of all, he's saying that, let us see, the tendencies, right? At the beginning, he says the tendency towards evil was in my very nature. Again, we are reminded of memoirs of a suicide. For all those of you who have attended our nightly study group um, that Vanessa, Dr. Vanessa Anzaloni, so graciously offered to us. Um, we might remember um, Camillo. Camillo was actually the author of the book, Camillo Castello Branco. Um, and his case helps us to understand. Camillo gets to understand the reason of his blindness. And it's, it goes back to previous existences. And in an exercise um, that he is privy to, he is allowed, it's a therapeutic exercise, to project his thoughts and feelings onto a screen in the spirit life, in a spirit world, to a lifetime that he's lived when Jesus was alive. And this lifetime is unfolding in front of us and him. And he sees that he was a man who was violent, passionate, vicious, and envious. And out of that, he committed crimes. And then after this life flashes up, another lifetime is being shown to the reader and him as well in the book. And that is 1,600 years later. And interestingly enough, this is in the 1700s, he's still showing the same tendencies of being violent. He has still has a tendency to be passionate, ambitious, and envious. So, dear friends, tonight we're invited to look at our own tendencies and that is the most important exercise of the evening. Because when we get to know ourselves, the ancients already taught us, know thyself. And we observe our tendencies, our, let's for, for now focus on the more unevolved tendencies because they are food for more transformation because those are the ones we want to turn into good tendencies. If we look at our own tendencies and we study ourselves, become observers of our own actions and thoughts and feelings, we can see what our tendencies are that need to be worked on. We can do it by observing us during the, our days and with the help of the nightly review that St. Augustine recommends to us in the Spirit's book as well as the Gospel, where we go over our day and we review. We review our feelings, we review our thought patterns, our actions, our words. And I'm sure we will all come up with certain patterns. Even if we kind of come up just with one main tendency that we would like to transform, that's a good start. So shall we do that, dear friends? We're all gonna do that for the week to come to study our tendencies because they will help us in our inner transformation because we don't want to be like Castello, spending 2,000, 1,600 years 
grappling and still having the same tendencies. And if we pick up tendencies we would like to transform now, we can only surmise how strong they were in the past. So dear friends, let us work on that. That is our therapeutic homework for the week. And then let us see. Then um, he speaks about um, his weakness. He says, I was a weak man, a weak man. Well, we also learn in the memoirs of a suicide, but also from our suicide cases that we've studied, that the biggest fault that people, that leads people to committing suicides and crimes and doing the evil, to being ignorant, is weakness. Weakness. It's called cowardice also, being a coward. It leads us to laziness and um, we, it surrenders, helps us surrender to our passions and old habits. Now passions, when they're channeled towards the good, are perfect because they give us energy. But if our passions are not educated, and if our passions run wild like a wild horse, they become destructive. So that's where we need strength. And how can we build up strength? We're using our willpower. And how do we know that we're using our willpower to the good? Well, we need to educate our will. Emmanuel teaches us that the will is the manager of us, that the will runs the show. And it's with our educated willpower that it will manage our thoughts, our feelings, our words, our speech, and our actions. So in order to build up muscles, willpower muscles, we will need to focus on educating our will and we educate it both intellectually as well as studying Jesus, studying the Beatitudes, spiritist literature, attending study groups, listening to cardiac radio. We know all the ways of how we can work on our inner transformation and become stronger. Right friends? We're invited to do that as well. It's going to be a busy week. <laughs> so now let us wrap up. So he was a weak man. So we know how to kick out of it by educating our will, using our willpower. Then he's being asked, did you believe in God while alive? And we know the answer, right? Of course not. He did not believe in God. And that is the root cause of the problem. He was not a being who is connected to God, to the higher power. Nevertheless, it is said that at the last moment you repented. Is that true? And he says, I believed in a vengeful God. So first he says he didn't believe in a God, but then he says he believed in a vengeful God. I was afraid of justice. So what do you think about God now? And he says, I sense him, but I don't comprehend him. So he's not, hasn't reached that point yet, uh, that he really understands God. And that is our invitation to always work on that more. And if we have a problem understanding, comprehending, and, and having real faith in God, then let us look towards Jesus. Jesus was sent by God to model to us of how to be more God-like and of how to become more God-like. So if we make Jesus our guide and model in every thought, in every feeling, in every action, every word, 
we come closer to God and we start loving, understanding, and emulating God more. And let us, the last question that Lemaire was asked, can we bring any relief to your suffering? And can you guess the answer? What is he asking for? Can we bring you any relief to your suffering? Again, that is something that most suffering spirits have asked for. And it is prayer. Yes, he says, pray for me. Now, why would he say that? Well, it is in the chapter of the passage in, he in heaven and hell, which we talked about earlier, where we learn that sincere prayer is a form of spiritual magnetization that brings about more rapid disaggregation of the perispiritual ties to the physical body. So instinctively, Lemaire is picking up on several things. One is that praying for somebody who is just excarnated, namely him, will help him because it will raise magnetic forces that will help him to disengage faster from his physical form, to separate his perispirit faster and more easily from his physical body, which will diminish the level of pain he is feeling. And further on, we know that by praying, we call good spirits to our own or other people's side. And these good spirits whisper good messages and help us to become stronger, to carry our cross in a more effective way. We also become inspired with more kind and loving thoughts feeling our willpower being supported, feeling just a general sense of strength and well-being. And our moral strength gets improved by prayer. Furthermore, our evil thoughts get diverted and connected to God. Emmanuel teaches us that by praying, we turn the mirror of our soul and connect with God. And as we turn the mirror of our soul towards God, we're reflecting God's light, light back into us, God's love, God's light onto us, which in turn will give us strength and guidance and help us. And furthermore, prayer help us to be, become more patient and to resign to our situation more. And there is more, but just to mention a few, so prayer is something that is vital. And as we've seen, it's a common thread among suffering spirits that they're always asking for prayer. And we are invited to pray, to pray for the suffering spirits, both incarnated as well as discarnated, always. And to also pray for suicide spirits, those who are playing with the idea and who are still incarnated, as well as the excarnated ones. So dear friends, let us close for tonight by closing our eyes and praying. Let us connect again with God and Jesus and Mother Mary with intense gratitude for this beautiful lesson that helps us to become more clear about our own excarnation and helping us to realize 
how important our inner transformation is to prepare ourselves and to reduce the suffering before, during, and after our excarnation. We, with gratitude, will remind ourselves during the week to observe our own tendencies, our own evil, ignorant tendencies, so as to improve ourselves in the most active, practical way, so that we will work actively on our inner transformation. So thank you. We're thanking the Spirit for helping us understanding the importance of getting to know ourselves and doing our nightly review. We're also showing much gratitude to Alan Carter and his beautiful, dedicated, diligent work of bringing these cases to us so we can learn to, and learn to avoid pitfalls and learning of how to conduct ourselves and prepare ourselves for our own excarnation. Let us now express our gratitude, dear friends, for the air that we are breathing, the air that refreshes us every breath of the way. And dear friends, let us thank God for the bread that we receive daily, nourishing both our physical body as well as our souls. And let us thank God for the clothes we're wearing, for the shelter we are having, for the gifts we have received, always reminding ourselves to share of what we have. Let us also give gratitude to the landscape around us, the country we're living in, the government, those in power, reminding ourselves that they too do their very best. Let us also thank the birds in the sky and their beautiful song. And let us thank the flowers surrounding us, enveloping us with their perfume. Dear friends, let us also thank the trees that give us oxygen to breathe. Let us thank our eyes that see the beauty all around by visualizing the good and seeing the good in everyone. And let us thank our, thank God for our ears, our ears that only hear the good. And let us thank for our speech that only speaks the good, expressing kindness, love, benevolence, indulgence, and forgiveness. Dear friends, let us thank for the voice with which we can speak kindness, express love, and help those who are in need. Let us also thank for the hands that we have with which we can be of service and render others, help others, by doing the good. And let us thank God for our feet so we can execute our duties during each and every day by helping others and being of service. Dear God, 
thank you for the mind so that we can mold ourselves with our thinking towards the good so we can educate ourselves both intellectually as well as morally and thank you god for giving us feelings so we can express ourselves kindly and lovingly always seeking the good feeling the good visualizing the good speaking the good and doing the good with all the resources we have and with this and more gratitude we ask for permission to close tonight's gathering our study group thank you dear friends thank you so much for joining so god willing we will meet again next week same time with another case of repentant criminals good night <laughs>